The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everyone. It may look like it's just me and Karen, but we've got an army of reporters uh, speaking to some of the top CEOs across Europe, including Credit Suisse, which posts a fourth quarter net loss of over 2 billion Swiss francs as the embattled lender claims 2022 will be a transitional year after a series of scandals. Jeff is going to be talking any moment now to the Credit Suisse CEO, Thomas Gottstein. We'll bring you an interview at 8 Central European time. Uh, net income at Societe Generale almost quadruples in the fourth quarter, boosted by strong equity trading revenues. As the French lender says, it is entering 2022 with confidence. Charlotte will join us as Karen and I speak to Frédéric Udea, the CEO at 7.30 CET. Strong demand in China and North America sees L'Oreal's four-year revenue jump 16%. Does CEO Nicola Euronymous hails a historic year for the beauty group? We'll hear from the L'Oreal chief later this morning, first on CNBC at 11.30. Disney shares jump in extended trade as streaming subscriptions beat estimates and the theme park business roars back to life. The CEO Bob Chapik tells CNBC the decision to raise prices at peak times is just part of the circle of life. This is a supply and demand business. Unfortunately, unlike, uh, say, Disney Plus, we have a fixed supply. And we commit to our guests to give them the absolute best Disney experience no matter when they come. Good morning to all of you uh, on a global base, wherever you are. Look, if today goes right, this show should be absolutely fantastic. And I guarantee you, you will learn a lot more about equities and the markets and the current trading environment and economics than when you start the show, if you stick with us for the period. If it goes wrong, then never mind. We only traded, uh, tried to do our best. It's Friday tomorrow. So this is what's going on at the moment. Credit Suisse has just reported a fourth quarter net loss of just over 2 billion Swiss francs. The group said 2022 will be a transitional year. My goodness me, it needs to be, doesn't it? As it continues to grapple with corporate governance and legacy issues. I'll make no apologies for just going through very slowly the screen you can see there. So stay with that one, Rod. Thank you. Over the last two years, we are down 27% on the share price of Credit Suisse. It is trading amongst the poorest valued stocks in the banking sector in Europe at a 0.52 price to book. Its great rival from across the road in Zurich is, of course, UBS. UBS is trading over double that on a price to book ratio. So the shares are down, they are lowly valued, and Thomas Gottstein, as we know, has a whole host of problems, including turning this from another year of crisis into a transitional year. I will go through the numbers very quickly, then I'll bring Karen in, because there's only one number I want to explain to you as well. But I'll do the lot, well, not the lot of them, because there's a lot there. But they said during 2022, they intend to meet the goal of releasing cumulative $3 billion of allocated capital from our investment bank for reinvestment into wealth management. There is a story from investment bank into wealth management. Uh, Elsewhere, they say that fourth quarter compensation and benefits were down 16% year on year. That is interesting. They are trying to get a grip on something that we talked a lot about on both sides of the Atlantic, and that is the cost-income ratio. If your costs 
and remuneration of highly paid investment banks is too much, you're never going to get it to match the income levels or at least have a, a respectable percentage like some that we've seen this time around, including the likes of Santander, which had a very solid cost-income ratio. They say they expect equities revenues to be impacted by the exit from pipeline services. They said after a weak start to the year, we're seeing encouraging signs of improving franchise momentum, including new net asset inflows year-to-date into wealth management. Hence, you can see the focus on that pivot as well. Right, I just want to bring you one more figure before Karen comes in as well, because there is so much in there. Credit Suisse says the fourth quarter return on tangible equity because of litigation costs was a negative 20.1. Returns on tangible equity are very important. They're a good um, uh, cross-sector measure of how we're getting on versus our peers. What are you doing with your capital and how you're getting on with it? A negative 20.1% figure is awful, but they are blaming litigation costs. So it could be one-off. So we want to see a re- big rebound in the first quarter, and that will be part of Jeff's conversation today. Karen, I have spoken far too much. Good morning to you, my friend. What do you make of these numbers? Good morning. Well, I mean, we had a lot to wade through for investors over the course of 2021, and it just really got worse as we continued into the back half of the year with the the fresh legal costs that were weighed up. Now, if you look at the numbers today, it was very hard for analysts to piece this together, and you can see their expectations have not been met on the revenue line. That is disappointing. And also, if you look at the net profit line, uh, the market was shaping up for a slightly uh, better number as we talk about uh, uh, losses at this stage. So I think that's going to be disappointing. Also, the dividend being cut. I mean, there is that uh, return that investors obviously look for, and you've got a hit there as well. And they had uh, the announcement back of the market so that Archegos would mean uh, a cut to the dividend. And as we've rounded out the year, there we are, the payout to shareholders slashed. But if you think about one of the lines coming through here, as we talk about all the self-harm inflicted on the business by the company, it also has some pandemic trends to deal with. And there's a line there saying that uh, there's a lower level of business activity similar to, to pre-pandemic levels. So it's also battling that headwind of a flip back in activity. Uh, the point that I think we're still looking for here, and perhaps Jeff, when he joins us later on, will shed some light on this, what the impact of rising global yields will mean for the business. We spoke to uh, Julius Baer the other week and there was an indication that you could probably get better returns as uh, margins got stretched out uh, in the business uh, thanks to a, a better backdrop on interest rates globally. So that may be a feature here. But obviously, as we talk about Europe, some tightening can have an impact on business activity as not as simple as the United States, for instance. And this is a global business. So let's just see what that uh, impact is when we look at Credit Suisse. But I've got to say, very disappointing. The question is what investors do with it now. There have been a, a number of buy recommendations among the analysts and it is roughly around the price that the stock is trading at. So will we budge from this level? Uh, the question mark around further losses, if there's anything more disappointing in this, or whether the stock just needs some fresh catalysts if it's going to regroup and push higher, whether this report card will do that for the investor community, Steve. Yeah, I, I think you make some excellent points. And I want to pick up on that point you said about higher interest rates. Two things I'll say. I see absolutely zero chance of the Riksbank moving anytime soon, I'm afraid, as well. I think Thomas Jordan is very happy to mirror what we're seeing uh, from Madame Lagarde. Uh, The SMB uh, is negative 0.75 on its key lending rate as well. And that is a very difficult environment for Credit Suisse to negotiate. So one can have empathy for the bankers there, although it means that clients are getting very cheap financing and they should be able to go. But the problem for Credit Suisse is... 
because, as you've pointed out, they've had risk and controls issues at the company, they are now, and in their words, this is Thomas Gottstein's words this morning, during the last three quarters of the year, we ran the bank with a contained risk appetite across all divisions because they need to get the credibility back on that front. There's nothing wrong with their regulatory capital. It is very solid. They're very keen to point out CT1 ratio 14.4, leverage ratio on a tier one basis of 6.2. These are solid, solid figures in terms of the capital available for the bank. But, Karen, as you quite rightly say, uh, rates will be rising potentially. Uh, Spreads will be picking up, so they should improve uh, on the net interest margins. But the problem is, because they have a, a a risk profile problem, which for all those issues you mentioned, such as Archegos and others, they need to prove to investors that they can manage their risk in a very responsible way. Hence, they won't be taking the same kind of risk profile that other rivals who haven't got that problem. It, it is hard not to be empathetic towards what Thomas Gottstein's problems are, uh, but very interesting. Can we show that board again you just showed of what the analyst thinks, Rod? Um, I think there were a lot of them on hold and a lot of sellers out there as well. And I thought it was absolutely amazing bell curve distribution, uh, i.e. 11 holders, seven below the line and only five above the line, as you can see on the screen. If you're doing your teeth or something, you've got three strong buyers, two buyers, six sellers and one strong seller. To have six sellers and one strong seller on a stock that is absolutely bombed out and is trading exactly 50% of its level it was trading four years ago before the crisis, well, I think that's absolutely fascinating as well. There is so much in here to digest. And do you know what? There's only one man to digest it properly, and that is Jeff, who is actually now, I'll tell you exactly where he is. He's down at Credit Suisse's uh, offices down at Canary Wharf. He's going to be speaking any minute now to Thomas Gottstein. I think it's a fascinating interview, and I, I cannot wait to see that. So that is eight central European time. But as I say, Karen, some banks do not have that same risk profile problem, and as such, are growing in a much better way. It's a big case of compare and contrast, isn't it? As we take a look at SockGen today, it has quadrupled its profit in the fourth quarter. The French bank reported a 13.4% rise in revenue, benefiting from lower provisioning and a bounce back in retail banking. The lender also announced it will launch 915 million euros worth of a share buyback program. And we're going to be speaking to the CEO, Frederick O'Dea. That'll be at 7.30 CET. But we do have a blockbuster lineup this morning. It's a busy day in the earnings front. Starting in just a few minutes' time when we bring you Annette's interview with the Siemens CEO, Roland Bush. Later this hour, we hear from the Zurich Insurance CEO, Mario Greco, and delivery heroes, Nicholas Osberg. Then at 8, CET Sharp will bring you Jeff's interview with the Credit Suisse CEO, Thomas Gottstein. Just before the market open, we'll hear from the Unilever boss, Alan Jope, that's also one you don't want to miss on the back of the, the movement around the GSK healthcare business. Later on, we're going to bring you Charlotte's interview with the L'Oreal chief, Nicola Hieronymus, and Annette's exclusive one-on-one with the Deutsche Borsa boss, Theodor Weimar. That'll be later on today. Uh, now, U.S. inflation, we could talk about that. It is expected to have spiked again in January with the latest consumer price print released today. Year-on-year inflation is forecast to come in at 7.2%, according to Dow Jones, the highest rate in 40 years. Month-on-month prices, they're expected to rise a further 0.4%. Speaking with CNBC, Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic said he anticipates hiking interest rates three or four times this year. In terms of uh, hikes for the interest rate, you know, right now I have three forecasts for this year. I'm leaning a little toward four, but we're going to have to see how the economy responds as we take our first steps through the, the first part of this year. 
I am thinking very much of the 25 basis point uh, perspective, but I want everyone to understand that um, every option is on the table. And I don't want people to have a view that uh, we, we're locked into a particular trajectory in terms of how our, our rates have to move over time. And we're really gonna let the data show us uh, to what extent a 50 basis point or a 25 basis point move uh, might be appropriate. Do you see what I'm saying? With that lineup Karen just gave you, plus the CPI stuff going on, plus the earnings from the States last night, if you don't learn something from this show, regardless of what you think of the characters giving you the, the walkthrough, you, you, you really need to learn something because amazing CEOs talking about every single issue going on out there as well. Right, this is what the US markets did yesterday. And, I, and again, I think it was fascinating because everybody is watching the minutiae on bond yields on both sides of the Atlantic now. Do you saw that little bit of a flurry concern about Greece and Italy bond yields yesterday uh, as there was thoughts going on that actually the ECB may be slightly more hawkish than previously thought as well. But then again, they're, they're back and throw. So, you know, again, Annette's interviews later on as well will give us some clarity on that. But basically, the Nasdaq had a very solid gain again. It is up 2.8% for the week as well. Uh, the S&P is up 2%. The Dow is up 1.9%. I'll show you US tech straight away, actually, because it was really where the action was as well. Uh, and we saw Tesla putting on a percentage. Well, Meta. Meta was due a good day. It had a good day. So Mark Zuckerberg finally getting uh, a little bit of the rally that we've seen off the lows that other stocks in the technology arena have seen. So a big rally there. Modest moves to the upside for Apple, 0.8%. Netflix was up 2.3%. We'll talk about this later on. But what was absolutely fascinating was the fact that we saw Disney really, really good numbers. And, and what one of our commentators in the States, Robert Hum, was pointing out to us on email as well, is that the pricing power across their different divisions and the beat on subscribers from uh, Bob Chapek's group, group as well was really good as well. And they didn't even mention the fact that my family's watched Encanto about 17 times, uh, and that must have boosted the streaming revenues as well in some way, shape or form as well. Let's have a look at the treasuries, because although the line I was reading was, oh, it abated because the treasuries came off their highs. Well, they haven't really much, have they? And as Karen was pointing out as well, we have got some enormous figures later on as well. The CPI data. And I did read some commentary. Oh, everyone expects CPI to come down from here as well. I know that's the base case, but I don't know about everyone as well. So 1.9% for those treasury yields. Right, let's move on because we've got some really big news coming out. Siemens has reported a strong start to its fiscal year. Orders surged while profit from its industrial businesses rose 12% to 2.5 billion euros. The German industrial giant sees headwinds from global economic uncertainties, but maintained its mid-single-digit growth outlook for the year. Now, Siemens says it has been able to avoid major supply chain disruptions. Annetta caught up with the CEO, Roland Busch, and asked him how he's been able to weather the current climate. And if you look at that share price there as well, you can see actually in the last month or so, the stock has come off quite a lot from the high, still up 5% over the year basis. But again, just come off a little bit as people concerned about the cost of financing and indeed the recovery. So let's listen in to that interview. We have a very strong team in our supply chain management. They manage our suppliers quite well. We have, uh, I think, the purchasing power from Siemens which is behind, so we, we see here a, a certain advantage. But uh, we cannot deny that we also had some shortages, which didn't allow us to, number one, run uh, uh, manufacturing sites on full capacity. 
um, and it didn't also allow us to produce the product mix we would like to have to. So we had some delivery delays for customers and we are working on to really get that straight. Main reason is, as you can imagine, mainly um, the semiconductor supply and this will continue for the next half year, we would say, and then let's see whether or not it's easing. Um, are you also um, affected by higher prices for primary products? It seems that especially commodities are uh, in, obviously in high demand, uh, but it's across the board, everything is getting more expensive. And can you pass those costs through to your customers? Yeah, we do see an increase in commodities, um, as everybody does. The bottom line impact on Siemens is, is not really um, big, it's marginal. Um, and we are also increasing our prices um, in product areas in particular. And um, to cut the story short, we could almost balance um, the increase in commodities and prices by the price increases. We talk a lot about inflation these days. So what is your assessment here? Are, you, are we entering a prolonged period of reinflation? Well, that's a good question. We believe that um, this inflation which we see could take a little bit longer. We also see that eventually the interest rates would uh, increase after the United States, also in Europe. But it's, I would say it's speculation. We know that the, the commodity prices, energy prices are, are high. They might stay for a while, but everything else is speculation. So let's see and, uh, how, the, how the inflation is developing going forward. It's, it's stronger in the United States it's, uh, than it's in Europe at this point in time. Are you also concerned that your financing or refinancing costs will get higher with the interest rates going up across the board? This doesn't give us any headaches. Uh, we are well financed. We have a very solid grip. Our CFO and the Treasury have a very solid grip. So this doesn't give me any sleepless nights. Um, let's talk a bit about geopolitical risk, because clearly we're seeing a lot of tensions, not just Ukraine, Russia, but also down in the South Pacific with Taiwan. Um, how closely are you monitoring that situation and is it affecting your business decisions? So first and foremost, it does not affect our businesses at this point in time. We are very much concerned, of course, about these geopolitical tensions and we are watching them closely, of course. And we hope very much that um, from a political side, there will be a peaceful and fast solution. Um, from the business side of things, Europe is spending, is going to spend a lot of money on its Green Deal and digital uh, infrastructure um, projects. Will you be benefiting um, from that spending initiative? Absolutely. All stimulus programs, not only in Europe, but also in the United States, they are targeting for the future. Um, they are investing in sustainable infrastructure, sustainable technology, and this is where we get tailwind for all our businesses. Is it green mobility? It's all about our trains or rail infrastructure. Infrastructure has to be built up as well. But is it also about any kind of automation, digitalization, um, or is it data centers? Uh, so our full portfolio gets tailwind from any stimulus program, which you see in Europe as well in the United States. Coming up on the show, Zurich Insurance expects to meet all of its 2022 targets after reporting a 35% jump in four-year operating profit. We're going to have more of the latest numbers with the CEO, Mario Greco, right after the break.
Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. Operating profit at Zurich Insurance jumped 35% last year on the back of a strong growth in key business units, property and casual commercial insurance and retail. The Swiss insurer has raised its dividend proposal to 22 Swissy per share, adding that it expects to meet or exceed this year's targets. Uh, Mario Greco is the CEO of Zurich Insurance, and we're delighted to welcome him back to the show. Mario, thank you very much indeed for joining us today. Um, that is the second time, sir, I've seen you say potentially you could exceed 2022 targets. You said it a month ago. I, I can assume now then that you will be beating 2022 targets uh, if things carry on a- as they are at the moment, sir. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, we count on beating the targets. We're very pleased, honestly. Uh, these targets have been set in 19 pre-pandemic and uh, we feel pride to be uh, in a position at the end of 21 that uh, we can beat the targets uh, uh, by, by December of this year. In terms of the purely financial targets, and I know that there are a lot of other things you're looking at at the company as well, from ESG to transitions for your clients as well, but in terms of the pure financial targets, what is the heavy lifting that still needs to be done within the group, sir? Uh, there is no heavy lifting. I mean, this is the final part of a three-year plan. Um, and uh, all the measures, all the changes uh, that uh, we uh, started doing two years ago uh, will continue delivering the effects. If you look at where we are at the end of 21, uh, we're practically already um, at the targets. Um, and so uh, through this year, we will continue building on that. Um, it's, uh, it's very reassuring for us to see that uh, all the actions that we have been taking over the last many years are producing effects. Um, and I also like to stress the fact that uh, we've been growing the business, uh, I, I would really say fantastically, uh, despite the pandemic. We have more than 2 million net customers growth. This is an impressive uh, achievement, especially considering what the last year has been for all of us uh, around the world. Maria, I'm, I'm actually pouring through the actual report. I haven't got through all 74 pages yet. You'll, you'll, you'll uh, accept my apology for that as well. But I'm looking at your combined ratio across <laughs> the board. And one thing that stands out to me is that the fears of the insurance industry of what the COVID pandemic would do look, according to your data, very misplaced. The insurance sector seems to have done very well, actually, at keeping combined ratios significantly below 100% as well. Do you want to just talk us through what the pandemic did do to Zurich uh, and actually, despite fears, didn't do to uh, Zurich Insurance? Yeah, uh, first of all, uh, you have to consider that a pandemic is an extraordinary event, but uh, what has been hitting the insurance sector over many years uh, in a steady way has been the financial markets uh, and the fact that the interest rates are, uh, have been negative and now are very, very subdued. This forced us uh, to transform our business, reduce the expenses and improve the technical profitability. What the pandemic brought to this uh, was uh, an acceleration. Uh, we reported last year roughly a billion of losses for the pandemic and this year we have a remaining portion of losses from pandemic. Uh, um, we talk about some hundred millions uh, for 
2021. Um, so the impact has been considerable, but uh, just uh, uh, limited on two years, uh, 2020 and 2021. The financial market really forced a transformation of our business towards higher technical profits and lower expenses. Mario, it's Karen jumping in. As you talk about the financial backdrop there, can I ask you about interest rates? We've already seen one move by the Bank of England and we're setting up for more moves later on by other central banks, including the Fed and potentially even the ECB and your own backdrop here. What would any move mean for your business? How much more profitable do you think you could be on the back of higher interest rates? Um, it is definitely a support, a help that now we're receiving from the market after so many years of struggles. Uh, so far, we've seen very little movements. Uh, the um, interest rates in Switzerland, in Germany, in the German part of Europe have barely moved positive over the last uh, few days. Um, so we hope that this uh, will remain and possibly reinforce itself and would be definitely um, a further help for us uh, to beat the targets that we have uh, for the year end. And it's finally a good sign from the financial markets. Mario, as we talk about COVID claims, would it be fair to say that the worst impact of COVID claims for the insurance industry are really behind us because it's now a known risk and a lot of insurers have gone out there, repriced and assessed the risk from COVID. Therefore, even if there are claims in future, the impact on the industry and your own business should be less than it would have been in previous years. Yes, that is absolutely fair. I think in general, we're looking with optimism at this year and for the next year. So we think that, uh, you know, the scientific research has fought the pandemic extremely successfully. And uh, uh, we, we think that uh, uh, we see the light out of the pandemic. For our accounts, again, I mean, 2020 was the year of the strong impact, 2021 um, some uh, minor impacts from COVID. Uh, we expect this to uh, be fading away in 2022. And uh, we think that uh, we are re-establishing normal business conditions uh, um, um, in the next weeks. Mario, I also want to turn to technology. We know a lot of businesses are scaling up with a better digital and it seems in your business this is quite crucial. You've mentioned in the release today that technology is playing a critical role in maintaining your position as a provider of choice. So we're talking about market share and dominance here. Just give us a sense of how much business is actually now being won through technology platforms as we talk about customers. Absolutely. Look, um, you know, think about acquiring 2.2 million net customers as we did in 2021 without technology. How would you do that? I mean, in 2021, um, you know, a big portion of the world has been in lockdown for many months of the year. And some of the uh, some of the regions of the world have been in lockdown practically all the uh, weeks and months of the year. So without technology, without digital service, without connectivity, without the capability to provide uh, contact support and help to the customers with technology, we wouldn't be able to grow our business as we did. Uh, we've been investing over many years. So again, we are harvesting now on investments, developments that uh, we launched years ago and uh, um, everything has proven important, right? And this is a, a great uh, confirmation of uh, strength uh, for um, our company. 
Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.